the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'll take brutality and non-acceptance in this society any day of the week if it means I can preach the gospel. This is how we must think and feel and live. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. I want to begin this morning by making a statement which I began with last Sunday, and that is we know that everyone in the world lives for something. Everyone is compelled by something. Everyone finds something to be the center of their universe. It's why they get up in the morning. It's why they go to work. It's why they do what they do. It consumes their thoughts. It consumes their lives. It consumes their time. It consumes their checkbook. And out there, we have the usual suspects. It's fame. It's fortune. It's happiness. It's maybe something that's just temporary or seasonal, like the end of COVID, getting vaccinated, getting others vaccinated. For us in here, it is the gospel. We are compelled by the gospel. We preach the gospel. We live the gospel. It is because of the gospel that we know Christ. We will see Christ. We will be with him forever. But I want to add an additional question to how we began this morning, or last morning rather. And that is, you can tell truly what is the center of someone's universe, what compels them, and how much it compels them by asking how far are they willing to go. If it's just how they vote, it doesn't really compel them. If they're willing to go and protest, if they're willing to be protested against because of what's written on their hat or on their clothing or on their face mask, then you know it really compels them. They're willing to go pretty far. You put in long hours of work so that you can be happy or think you can be happy by providing, by having nice stuff. Sacrifice comfort and ease for daily runs and workouts so you can look good and get the accolades that you want when people say, man, you're really fit, you're doing well. And again, in here, we all live for the gospel, all believers live for the gospel, but the question is the same. How far are you willing to go for the gospel? And if you say pretty far, I would ask you, is it far enough? And this morning in our context, we're not talking about how far are you willing to live for the gospel. We will see from the life of the Apostle Paul, the question is, how far are you willing to go to preach the gospel, to make the God of glory known to the world? How far are you willing to go to evangelize, to let other people know of the saving work of Jesus Christ that they may too live out the gospel? We know that Paul was all in, as we should be. So let's continue our study of 1 Corinthians and be encouraged and convicted by his example of how far he was willing to go for the sake of the gospel. Turn with me to chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we find ourselves in verses 19 through 23, again, still in the wider context of Christian liberty that is willing to give up Christian liberty rights, gray areas, for the sake of others. 
In the narrower context, he's talked about giving up his right to pay as an evangelist, as a minister of the gospel. And now he goes forward and talks about how far he's willing to go, how far he does go, how far he has gone to evangelize the lost. He says, starting in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? So that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker in it. We see three commitments here, three commitments that Paul has, and three commitments we should have for effective gospel ministry. And again, in this passage, he is talking about evangelistic ministry. I hope you understand that gospel ministry involves more than evangelism. It includes how we live out the gospel how you live according to the gospel, because of the gospel, for the gospel. The two go hand in hand, though. We can't just share the gospel with unbelievers and live a wretched life. And we can't just live righteously according to the gospel and keep quiet when the world around us is dying. The two go hand in hand. And as we unpack these, understand that it would be impossible for Paul or anyone to make these types of commitments in evangelism, in gospel ministry, if he wasn't first sold out to the gospel, for the gospel, and living in light of the gospel. Three commitments for effective gospel ministry. The first commitment he has made, and the first commitment we should make, make is intentional, intentional slavery. Intentional slavery. Again, in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. He says, I use my freedom to become a slave. Not only is this idea conceptually strange, it is contextually, historically, contextually unthinkable. For a slave in his day to have paid his debt and finally earned his freedom to voluntarily make himself a slave again doesn't make any sense in the Roman world or in any world where slavery was or is a thing. But this is what Paul does. Not literally a slave in that he is owned by another human being and is indebted to that person and is a slave until he pays off that debt. But in many ways, the voluntary slavery is much more difficult. I mean, think about it. When you're forced to give up your rights, it's in many ways easier because you have to than choosing to give up your rights on your own. It's hard when the police confiscate something. That's hard. But you have no choice. If someone says you have a choice, what are you going to do? Then that's hard to give up your rights. Unless, of course, for the Christian, you are compelled by the gospel. We see this gospel compulsion at the end of verse 19. The reason he makes himself a slave to all is because he wants to win people to Christ. This is it. He will sound like a broken record in this passage. So that I may win. So that I may win. So that I may win. Can I translate that for you? For God, for God, for God, for God. For gospel, for gospel, for gospel, for gospel. Others. See, Paul is so focused on God's glory 
and others benefit, even his enemies, even those who persecute him, who persecute other Christians, who shake their fists at God. He seeks their benefit and God's glory so much that he chooses the unthinkable, all for the sake of others in evangelism. And I call this intentional slavery using both common English definitions of that word. Not only is he doing this on purpose, he's choosing to do this intentionally. It wasn't an accident. He is also doing this for a purpose, with a specific intent. And again, that is for the sake of the cross, to win some to Christ. And what he is saying here in verse 19 is he can do this because he is free. Because he has the freedom to choose what he wants to do, he is not a literal, literal slave of another human being. He is not enslaved to the highest bidder who pays for the gospel message or whatever message as we saw last week. It is because of his freedom that he can now forego his freedom for the sake of others. To forego our Christian rights for the sake of others is what Paul is doing, what Paul is modeling, what we should do too. And as with Paul, we are to do this and all things out of love and selfless concern for others. Let me put it this way. The incarcerated criminal currently in prison has given up drugs. He has given up alcohol. He has given up watching movies, not for the sake of others. He has no choice. He's a prisoner. They've taken those things away. But the free individual gives up these things for the sake of others because he has a choice. We do it because we have a choice. And that's what Paul is saying. And when we talk about evangelism, I think we've all had that thought. We've even prayed that prayer. I know a member of our church who's praying that prayer right now for her father. That one person you so desperately long to see come to the saving knowledge of God that you say, God, anything, do anything. I love this man so much that if it means giving him a heart attack, if it means giving him cancer, give him cancer if that's what's going to bring him to Christ. If it means taking away everything I have and putting me on the streets, do that to me if that's what it takes to bring this person to a saving knowledge of you. We've all prayed that prayer for someone. Whatever it takes, Lord, disease, nightmares, I just want him to be saved. Just do it, Lord, please. But what Paul is doing here is not just for that one particular loved one. He's saying, God, do whatever you need to do, and I will do whatever I need to do for everyone even those who were so brutal to me when they whipped me that to this day I can't walk straight. My enemies, my persecutors, my boss who's mean to me, the guy who took my job, the guy who took the credit for my work and got the promotion that I deserved. What do I need to do to accommodate him for the sake of the gospel? Paul isn't just willing to give it all up. He does give it all up, and not just for a particular individual, for everyone. Because beyond his love for others is his love for God. You see, we share the gospel because we love people, and that's great. We don't want to see them go to hell. But what's going to make the difference is not just that person not going to hell and your desire for that, but to desire even more than that God's glory through the salvation of unbelievers. That's what's going to drive you past mom and dad and brother and sister to share the gospel and to change your life to be able to share the gospel with those people. And to fully understand the depth of what he's saying and how he lives his life, let me state the obvious. The difference in Roman times between a literal slave and a literal free man was that the former had no rights, whereas the free man did. But because of his love for all men and more so his love for God, he willingly extended 
distinguished that very significant difference. Martin Luther captured this paradox well. Same man, same breath, wrote this. A Christian man is a free Lord over all things and subject to nobody. A Christian man is a ministering servant in all things and subject to everybody. That's what Paul is saying here. But because he is free, because we are subject to no man, we are subject only to God, it is because of that that we are to choose to be subject to everybody. And this helps us understand the paradox. Both are true. And in our next point, Paul expounds on what he has just said in verse 19 as well as Luther's commentary on that verse. And so if you're a little confused on how, to, how that plays out in your life, what does this mean? Let's go to commitment number two for effective evangelistic ministry or gospel ministry, inclusive service. Inclusive service. That is, your service is to include everyone. Like, yeah, I understand what you mean. My BSF group, Grace Church of the Bay. No, no, no. Everyone. Everyone. Look at verses 20 through the beginning of verse 22. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law. Why? So that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So that I might win those without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. Now there are several groups that Paul talks about here. They do not translate directly here. We're not just talking about just primarily as a a major group sharing the gospel with Jews here. You understand he's talking about his life. This translates loosely to all people in our lives, but let's break this down. There are several groups that Paul mentions here as, as examples of what he means when he says, I make myself a slave to all. These are all very different groups or types of people that existed in his day that he would have interacted with, seen in the marketplace, sold tents to. But as you'll notice, the goal is always the same, to win them to Christ. Not for a raise, not to look good, not to get into that club, to win them for Christ. First, he says to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. He is Jewish. He says I became as a Jew. He is ethnically a Jew. This is his nationality. This is his race. But as a believer now, he no longer practices the rituals and traditions of his people because he knows they are no longer part of what controls him, what he has to do. Christ did away with all of those things, fulfilling them. But in order to win an audience with the Jews... To not offend in a way that would close doors to the gospel, Paul is willing to follow those rituals again. You won't let me in here to preach unless I wear a yarmulke, then I will wear a yarmulke into the synagogue. I don't care. It doesn't matter if it opens a door for the gospel. While I'm with this group, Paul says, I know I can eat all things now, but you want me to be kosher? I will be kosher. If it means I can sit down at a table with you and tell you that the Messiah has come. You want me to wash my hands? In that particular water before we eat, I will wash my hands in that particular water before we eat if it means I can share the gospel with you. He's no longer legally bound by these rules and traditions, but he is bound by love. He's bound by love for those who are bound by those rules and traditions. As such, he is willing to go through the motions for their salvation if that's what it takes to win an audience with them. He says the same thing in the rest of verse 20 about those who are under the law. 
He does clarify what we just said, not being myself under the law. I'm no longer under the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law. This is actually different than Jews. He is also speaking of Jews, but here under the law refers more to their religion rather than their traditions. This would also include proselytes to Judaism. That is Gentiles who converted to the religion of Judaism so that they are now under the law, that they were not born Jews. Obviously, there's much overlap with our first group, but this goes back both to the Mosaic law and the rabbinic law. We know that by Jesus' time, thousands of laws were written to extrapolate on the Mosaic law. If you've ever visited Israel, you know how tedious it can be just to stay at a hotel, buffet every morning except on the Sabbath because they can't work, special elevator that stops on every floor because they can't push elevator buttons on the Sabbath because that's work. That's not the Mosaic law. That's a rabbinic law. And this is what it's talking about for those who are under the law. Clearly, Paul would not in any way imply through his words or through his behavior with these people that these things were necessary for salvation or that they even incur any sort of spiritual benefit, but it opens doors for the gospel. So he's willing to do these things. So in verse 20, Paul is referring to Jewish people. We can learn a lot from this. We hear people knocking on our door, Jehovah's Witness. We get proud, we get angry, we want to make them feel dumb. We want to make them to feel how, how wrong they are about the Scriptures. Or as Paul says, no. You accommodate them to the degree that you can without sin and then get them to hear the gospel. We want to criticize these false religions. We think people who are following these prosperity gospel preachers on TV are idiots. No. They're fools who have been fooled, and we need to share the gospel with them. Look at what Paul's willing to do. Dust off the old outfit so he can get into the synagogue. We need to be willing to not be harsh or impatient with other religions. It's frustrating. I get it. It robs God of His glory from people who are using His name wrongly, using His Scriptures wrongly. But we need to accommodate because we want to win more to Christ. I mean, this is the very man, the Apostle Paul, that used the statue of an unnamed pagan god as a way to do what he's saying here, to open doors for evangelism there in Athens. And from that, he said, oh, I noticed among all of these statues that were so many that it pricked his conscience. Read the passage. He couldn't sit still. He had to preach. And he said, here's a pagan god. There's probably priestesses who have prostituted themselves in front of this very statue for this. And yet he says, it has no name. Aha, I'm going to use that. Let me tell you about the unnamed god. And then he gives us the greatest evangelistic message and presentation of the gospel that we have in all of Scripture outside of the gospels. How did it all begin? With a pagan God. We can do this, guys. We can learn from him. In verse 21, Paul moves from Jews to Gentiles. That's whom he's referring to as those who are without law, those outside of the Mosaic law. All four times he uses this phrase, it's the same Greek phrase. He's talking about Gentiles non-Jews. This does not mean lawless in the sense of living an irresponsible or immoral life. He's just referring to non-Jews. This is an even broader category than Jews, where we would know specifically what they believe, how they act. What does it mean that he becomes like everyone else? First of all, it would mean that he would not adapt Jewish ways in sharing the gospel with them. They're Gentiles. From there, I believe it would be a case-by-case matter following the customs of the culture and the people, again, to win an audience. 
Now, there's a very important caveat in verse 21 in which Paul reminds us that he is still under the law of Christ. In other words, though he will adjust to a large degree to appeal to those without the law, he is not free to do whatever Gentiles do, or the Jews for that matter. He still has an obligation to obey Christ and God's moral law. In other words, accommodate on a social level, but do not sin. Do not misrepresent God. Do not water down the gospel. Do not participate in their pagan or secular worship. And this makes sense because this is why he's doing what he's doing, to honor Christ. He's doing it to honor Christ. You don't dishonor Christ to honor him. It's like the the question I would get a lot of times back when I was in college ministry. I ministered to a a lot of Asian Americans who uh, were really pushed to put studies above church, even by their Christian pastor parents. And they would ask me, they say, I should obey my parents and not go to church, right? Because the Bible says, obey your parents. I said, no, God said, obey your parents. So you default to obeying God first. Small group, sure. Men's group, sure. Miss it, but not church. Not church. You obey God there. You don't listen to your parents, pushing them to marry an unbeliever, whatever it may be. And so you understand what he's saying here. You get this. He is not a free agent. He is still under Christ's authority. He is giving up his Christian liberty for the sake of God's glory through preaching of the gospel and the conversion of souls. But he does this for God and in God's way. So much so that he even in his freedom, he uses it to become a slave to all. For us, this is a good reminder that we do not preach the gospel by any means. It makes no sense to violate the gospel in order to preach the gospel. You know how many seeker-sensitive churches... If you look at their doctrinal statement, it's the same as ours. It's shocking because none of that comes through in the sermons and they justify watering things down, avoiding major parts of the gospel and theological tenets to get people in the door because more people in the door, the more we can share the gospel with them. Problem is they're not sharing the gospel. They're doing exactly what we're saying not to do here. They've taken it too far. So when we talk about becoming as others to win them, this does not mean engaging in their sinful lifestyles. If you are strongly tempted to do those things, that means don't even be around them when they are engaging in those things. Listen, sometimes we think that way. My coworker is really into partying and just these hedonistic, there's a lot of drinking and drugs, and I just feel like I can't share the gospel with him unless I go to those things. Didn't you just say he's your coworker? Do you work at that club? Even the most pagan, sinful, hedonistic people have normal lives in society outside of their sin. They have normal jobs. They have families. They are involved in social activities. They have lunch at the work cafeteria. You do not have to give in to their pagan practices or worldly immorality to win them to Christ. In verse 22, he gives us a final category to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. By the way, all of these categories, there would have been converts from these categories in the Corinthian church. And so they would have said, yeah, this for me, Paul. You did this for us, Paul. But who are the weak? Since we're talking about the salvation of the lost, we know that Paul is not talking about the weak that he referred to in chapter 8. Those were Christians, the weaker brother that you may cause to stumble by eating the meat in the temple. Here he's talking about unbelievers. What are weak unbelievers? Well, on a social level, in terms of a group of people, these would be the people that are not at the same social status as you are. 
They don't have the same background, the same education, the same finances that you have. People that simply because of your job, because of, you know, you go to your job and then you go home and then you have your church, you just don't interact with these people. You work at at a place where it's primarily white-collar jobs and the blue-collar people come in after work to, to clean up after everyone's gone, to sanitize these days. Perhaps this would mean presenting the gospel in a way that you normally wouldn't. I don't mean watering down. I mean presenting it without the big theological words. Explain what the word sin means. Don't roll your eyes when they ask you what the, what's sin. Maybe it's a simpler presentation. Maybe though you're talking to an adult, you would share the gospel as you would to a child. Maybe you would repeat things over and be more patient. For you, this may mean that though you are middle management, you don't avoid sharing the gospel with the janitor or the intern or the parking attendant. The gospel is not too good for the poor and uneducated, so neither are you. And when it comes to our evangelism in 21st century America, again, Paul's categories of people, groups do not translate directly, but we get the point. Whomever it is, we must be willing to accommodate for the sake of the gospel. And this is very important. This is key. This goes beyond just being who you are and sharing the gospel with those who are like you and are within your circles already. This also means to share the gospel with other people, but to go even further. If there is a person or group that you can't seem to connect with, you don't just say, well, I'm not going to share the gospel with them. I'm going to share it with them. No, you learn how to connect. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.